All right, a bit of apology before I get started. Um, I got into some bad uh, softener, I think, in doing some laundry at somebody else's house. And so for two days, I've just been in like these itching fits, like my whole body. And I thought, man, how dry is it here right now? And I'm just like lathering lotion on myself and it's just getting worse. And then it struck me that I'm always allergic to other people's fabric softener. And uh, so I, uh, about two in the morning, you know, stripped down and changed into clothes that hadn't been in that and, and took some Benadryl, which can make me a little loopy sometimes and was still a little itchy this morning um, and still I'm itchy now. And so I took some other medicine on top of that. It's supposed to be non-drowsy, but first service and second service, both services, I was like, I can't stand any longer. <laughs> I just kind of sat down and started doing this. So if I take a little nap during the service, uh, just know that's me giving you permission to take a nap during the service as well. Um, if I say strange things, uh, write those down. Those might be good. Those would be interesting. <laughs> You can use those against me later, Later, right? <laughs> so we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The Apostle Paul in this book is uh, really doing a, a good job of defending himself and his ministry. Uh, there is this church in Corinth that he loves. He brought the gospel to Corinth. Uh, and many of the people there, I think, love and appreciate him. But they've had a little bit of a struggle in that uh, there are these traveling minister, ministers, these traveling missionaries, maybe. Uh, one translation of the Bible calls them super apostles that have come through. And they've kind of downplayed the Apostle Paul and his ministry. And they've kind of made the church there. Some of the people in the church of Corinth think, is this Paul guy even really all that great? And so they've said quite a few things about him that aren't nice. And we're going to get to see some of those things in chapter 10, 11, 12, and 13, and Paul's response to those things. But at the heart of his response to those things is uh, he just wants to be uh, in good relationship with the people in Corinth when he comes to visit them. And so he's bringing out these kind of harsh letters initially, explaining some of his concerns, some of the things he feels like they need to repent of. Uh, and so uh, it does come across pretty harsh at times. But again, his purpose is so that when he gets to Corinth, they don't have to have these fights. He, he really wants his time in Corinth to be enjoyable for everybody, and it would be most enjoyable if they would repent before he got there. That's kind of the way this comes across. And so in chapter 10 and verse 1, we're going to get to hear the first complaint that's been lodged against the Apostle Paul, probably delivered by Titus. Not that Titus was the complainer, but Titus was explaining what things were like in Corinth while Paul was gone. And so he says this in verse 1, Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you when absent. And I think he says this with a, a hint of sarcasm. We'll see that down in verses 9 through 11. He's going to go back to this same topic. But it seems to be kind of one of the struggles that they have. When Paul writes, he comes across very strong, very uh, almost in your face. It might seem uh, there's a boldness to his writing. But then when they meet him face to face, well, he's just a puppy. He's a teddy bear. He's just this soft guy. He's, as they explain here, meek and gentle, or at least as Paul is trying to explain there, uh, that he is meek and gentle when he meets them face to face. That's what he's trying to be. Now, they see this as a negative, that the Apostle Paul is coming in as this kind of meek, gentle guy. They see it as a negative uh, because in the Roman Empire, in the Greek empires, and I would say in the American empire, we value strong leaders. 
We value loud leaders. We value leaders that pound on tables and leaders that kind of get in your face. That's who we look for. It's just kind of this natural thing that seems to happen. It's kind of this toxic idea of leadership that the loudest person is probably the leader. No, sometimes the loudest person is just the loudest person. That's all they are. They may not have anything to add, but they're going to add it louder than anybody else. And so you take this now and contrast that with the teaching of Jesus who taught us that he was the servant of all. Now you compare those things and now Paul is just trying to emulate what he saw in Jesus' ministry, which is really outside Paul's character, to be clear. Paul was very bold as a Jewish leader, so bold that he was arresting and even putting to death Christians. And I wonder if these people that are speaking out against Paul right now knew his background. Like, like if they knew who he was before he came to Christ. If they knew he was a persecutor of Christians and a, and a person who was having Christians stoned to death. If maybe they would have been a little more cautious as they spoke to him. And what we're seeing in the Apostle Paul is a changed life. He is meek and gentle Because Jesus Christ changed who he was and set for him a new example of how to lead. Jesus is the one who told us that it's blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. It's Jesus who set the example by washing his disciples' feet, by being the servant of all. And he says, I've given you an example, I want you all to do this. And so Paul picks up on that, and you can see it in Paul's writing. Uh, In the book of Galatians, in chapter 5, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit of God. One of the fruits of the Spirit of God in your life is gentleness. If you're struggling with gentleness, then you're actually struggling with a fruit of the Spirit. That you need to go to the Holy Spirit and say, Spirit, help me be more gentle in the way I approach things, in the way that I approach people, in the way I minister to others. Paul even talks about this some more uh, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. He talks about it in Galatians 6, but it's this idea that when you are uh, seeking repentance from somebody, you do this with a spirit of gentleness. And so they're seeing this as weakness Paul's just trying to live like his Savior, Jesus Christ. That's his his answer there. And that's why I think it's kind of sarcastic how he says it there. Well, I urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am meek when face to face, but bold to you when absent. So now he's saying, okay, I will write this next sentence in meekness and gentleness, if that makes you feel better. They want it to be the opposite. They wanted his letters to be bold and they wanted him to be bold in purpose, but what are in person. But what Paul's doing is you say I'm meek in person and bold in my letters. Well, let me be meek in my letters too, so I can make that across the board, this gentleness, this meekness. That's the, the thing that the apostle Paul is getting across to them there. So he picks it up in verse two. We'll find some more of the things that they had a problem with in the apostle Paul. In verse two, it says, I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous among some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations in every lofty thing, raised up against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever, 
I've lost my spot. Whenever your obedience is complete. So the Apostle Paul uh, is having another problem, another accusation that has come up against the Apostle Paul. You see it there uh, in verse 2 at the end of it. Uh, It's that there are some people who regard him and his ministry team as people who are walking in the flesh, which is actually the exact opposite of the truth. Because again, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's how he's actually walking. He's walking in the Spirit. But from them, they see some gentleness and some meekness probably as weakness. And weakness is not what our God is like. And therefore, he must be walking in the flesh. He must be afraid of people. That's why he's so meek and gentle. You see how they've got it all twisted around backwards in their mind? But Paul is just walking in the spirit, but they're recognizing that as walking in the flesh because they don't know the difference between the flesh and the spirit. They can't recognize it. They're not mature enough at this point to recognize that, that real deal difference that is there. So Paul's going to clear it up for him, and he says this. Now, we might walk in the flesh, which means we're like real, honest-to-goodness, flesh-bound human beings. We walk in the flesh. We're real people, but when we go to war, we go to war with divine power. And there's almost a hint of a threat in that. You guys want to call me out, I'll go to war with you. But just know when I go to war with you, I bring the divine power of God with me. And he's going to use these war terms going forward. Uh, He says this, he says, we're going to uh, destroy, we're going to take captive, and we are going to punish. These are war terms. Paul explains, if you want to go to battle with me, it's going to be a spiritual battle. And it's going to be a divinely powerful spirit, as he says in verse 4, that is designed for the destruction of fortresses. And he begins to define some of those terms, some of those things that he's, he's doing battle with there. He says this uh, in verse 5, the first thing they're destroying, speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Who's he going to war against? What he's doing battle with? What is he going to destroy? speculations and lofty things that have been raised up against the knowledge of God. You see, Paul's not overly concerned about the people who are against him. He's concerned about the misconceptions that those people have about who God is and who God wants them to be. That's what he's going to do battle with. And so these speculations of whether he's weak or whether he's strong that are really misrepresenting the power and the spirit of God, that's what he's going to war with. These lofty ideas that sometimes people come up with these ideas and we're like, man, that's a, that's a great idea. It's just not true, but it's a great idea, right? Paul's like, I'm going to destroy those things. I'm going to destroy those things. With divine power, those are the things he's going after. It's, it's interesting to me that all of these things really kind of exist in the, in the place of thoughts, in this battleground of our mind that we have going on. And I don't think we think about this often enough or well enough, but our minds are constantly inundated with falsehood, with fake things, with false teachings, constantly inundated with things that are not from God, but things that are from the world. Sometimes we do this willingly, but sometimes it's just wherever you go. There was this movie years and years ago called Minority Report. 
not recommending the movie whatsoever. I don't recommend movies. I'm just telling you about this, this thing that was happening in this movie. They were depicting the future, right? As he's walking down the street, these holograms of advertisements would, would show up in front of him and they would advertise things that he was thinking about, right? Isn't this what your phone does? Isn't this what the internet is doing right now? I don't know how many times that's happened to me where I, I've like had to stop and be like, what just happened? Like I'm having a conversation about something with somebody. And then I pull up my phone and the next ad is advertising something about what I've just been talking about. You see, there's this constant communication going on in your mind. There's these constant images being placed in your brain. Uh, think of it in these terms. Uh, back in the day, you used to go walking through the mall, right? And every store, and nobody walks the mall anymore, but I'm just saying, back when I was a kid, that was cool. Like people, like teenagers, just roving packs of teenagers would just walk through the mall for hours on end. Nobody had any money, don't get me wrong. They were going to go home and ask mom for the stuff that they saw, right? But we were cool walking around the mall, and every one of those stores put something enticing in the window to draw your attention, to pull you, and, they, and they're, they're advertising a lie, Right? Like, if you dress as cool as this mannequin, you're going to look as good as that mannequin. Problem is, that mannequin is half my size, right? I don't look anything like that mannequin. But man, those, cools, those clothes make that mannequin look cool. There's just all these things constantly being put in your mind. And then you go, now we have social media that's multiplied at times a thousand. So you're on social media, I'm on social media, you've got your Instagram and your TikTok and your Facebook and your Snapchat, and all of these people now have instant access through your eyes into your brain. And all this stuff, and you don't even have to click on it all, you don't even have to stop to read it, you got to scroll by it though. And there it is, and there it is, and there it is, and it starts to flood your brain. And then you add to that, I'm going to sit down, I just want to watch a football game. And every six to seven minutes, here's a new ad, and it's advertising, it's preaching, it's proclaiming some sort of truth, but it's not the truth. And your mind is constantly being filled with these thoughts, these ideas, filled all of the time. Paul was dealing with a small version of that. He was dealing with a little bit of gossip in a church. And man, we're dealing with so much more, it's constant. We're always receiving these messages. People trying to tell us how to think, how to live, what we should do, what we should wear, what we should eat, where we should go. Trying to tell us where we need to go on our next vacation. That is none of the internet's business where I go on my next vacation. Ooh, but that's nice. What's that? Ooh. <laughs> now I'm suckered in, right? Well, all of this stuff is proclaiming a false gospel. And we have to somehow balance that out. I just did this little, in my mind, I started thinking about what my average day looks like. Like I get up in the morning and I think about all of the things that are fed into my brain, whether it's the news, whether it's, you know, and I read the news mostly, I don't watch it. Sometimes I'll listen to it on the radio, but I don't, I don't really like the news shows anymore. Like I used to like the, the news shows back in the day where they didn't have an opinion it was just some guy with a cool voice reading off of a teleprompter. And you didn't know what that guy thought about anything. You didn't care. You just felt like, this is just the facts, man. 
And it doesn't feel like that anymore. Now it's like this competition game show where all these guys are like lined up and all these people are yelling at each other and I can't handle it. And so it's just too much like life for me. I don't need all that, right? So I can't watch it on TV, but I'll read the news stories. But anyway, I just, all of this is coming in and then I'm reading a blog post and then I'm on my phone and I'm playing a game, but in the middle of my game, it shoots up an advertisement because I'm too cheap to pay for a game. I ain't paying for that, 99 cents. I need that money. That's McDonald's money, right? All that stuff just constantly filling my brain. And I ask myself this question, how do I balance that out with the truth? How much of that time was spent balancing that with the Word of God? I'm a pastor. If I'm going through this, you guys are going through this. The more information you take in, that is contrary to the truth, the more distracted from the truth you will be. And I'm not a guy that says you have to just turn everything off and become Amish. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying you need to be deliberate about these things. Or as Paul says it next, not just that he's going to destroy these speculations and these lofty ideas that are being brought against the knowledge of God. He says this, he's going to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So it's not that you can never hear another message. It's that the messages that you hear, you need to hold them captive and compare them to the truth of Jesus Christ. And you need to hold those messages in obedience to Jesus Christ. And so every message that you hear, whether it's the coolest meme that's been sent out or whether it's the the next news article or whether it's the next advertisement, every one of those questions, every one of those advertisements, every one of those messages, you have to examine and say, is this message obedient to Jesus Christ? And if it's not, then it's not important to me. But at least I've identified it. I now know that message that I received was false. Now that's exhausting, isn't it? (laughs) That is a lot to do. And I can't say that we're going to be able to do this all the time, but we have to get more in the habit and more in the practice of doing these things. Comparing what we're taking in so that what we take in doesn't become what we take out. We fill our heads with garbage. What comes out of our heads? Garbage. Years ago, I had this guy come into my office and um, just a weird situation. He said, I I think I have multiple personalities. Um, Sometimes I believe I am a female Russian spy or assassin. I'm sorry. I messed up the whole story. Anyway, he was believing that he was a female Russian assassin. And at this point, I'm like, I think you're in the wrong office. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I don't know that I can fix that, right? I'm thinking this guy's got some imbalances, needs some medication, something's not right. And so I just start kind of checking off a list of things. I'm like, okay, one thing that could be going on here, I know you don't want to hear this, but you may not be right, (laughs) You, you might need some medicine. Another thing that might be happening here, you might be demon-possessed. You might have a demon speaking to you, telling you all kinds of crazy things, and you're listening to that demon. You might just be so sinful that you're acting crazy like David did when he was drooling down his beard and scratching at the walls because he was in disobedience to God. You might be so sinful that you're trying to hide your sin with this crazy persona. Or... It might be you've just filled your your head with so much garbage and so much junk that you literally think now that you're a female Russian assassin. Now, I think I'm done with the guy at this point because he's probably, of those choices, going to say, I better go get some medicine. 
Because nobody wants to admit to the other things. He actually admitted two of them, but one of the things he admitted was, you know, I wonder if this is it. I stay up all night long playing this video game where I am a female Russian assassin. You filled your mind with a message over and over and over again when you should be sleeping. And now that message is coming out in your life. Paul says, hey, I'm ready to do battle. I'm going to destroy, destroy these speculations and these lofty ideas. And I'm going to take every single thought captive and compare it to obedience in Jesus Christ. And then he says, again, another war term here, from destruction to um, captivity and to finally in verse 6, we are ready to punish all disobedience. Again, this is a thinly veiled threat, isn't it? To those in Corinth that are speaking falsely about the Apostle Paul. Speaking falsely about the Apostle Paul. And he says, we're ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. The idea there is that he sends this to the church and the church needs to deal with those things so that when he gets there, he doesn't have to be the one who punishes these folks. They're speaking these falsehoods that are lying about him. Verse 7, he diagnoses their problem. He says, you're looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame. What's the issue? The people that were judging the Apostle Paul were judging him on his outward appearance. They were judging him on how things look from the outside. And they're not even asking this question, is he a believer? Is he called by God to the ministry he's doing? Uh, this is a crazy thing, but, but you'll see this throughout history, that people will more naturally follow an attractive leader. And it really doesn't matter what their ideas are. If you ever go back and look at history, I did this one time just for fun, um, but if you look at history, when you're electing a president, the percentage of tall presidents that get elected over short candidates is ridiculous. It's why Michael Dukakis wanted a stool behind his podium, right? So he appeared taller. It's just this people judge on outward appearance. You ever noticed that since like the 1800s, there's not been one president with a beard? For a long time, it didn't look professional enough to be president of the United States. And so these guys would shave their beard. They're all trying to look like a certain thing. Well, this same thing is happening in churches. It was happening in Paul's day. It's happening in our day. People are oftentimes drawn more to attractive ministers and attractive ministries. And not necessarily asking the question, is this godly? Uh, you can just kind of go down the list of the most popular pastors online these days. Every one of these guys is chiseled. They're like, ah. perfect little outfits. They have just the right amount of stubble on their face to look really cool. Their hair is like perfectly shaped all the time. Even if they have the messy look, it's the perfectly exact same messy look every single day. It's not like it just got out of bed messy. It's like every little spike has a reason. And they're just ideal. 
And every word that comes out of their mouth is just perfect. And they have all these, like, they'll take, like, just this perfect minute on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is, and it's just kind of this perfect quote. And here I am, I'm like, I am not chiseled, and nobody's taken my quotes and posting them online. Sometimes i got to say them three times just so I can get it right. And, and, you know, you kind of struggle with this. I struggled. I remember, so there was this uh, pastor that I knew, and I've told you about him recently. Uh, it's kind of disheartening, but I, I was telling you about this pastor that I knew. I had met him a few times, and so I started following him on Instagram, thinking this is cool. And he would have, again, it was this perfect thing. It was like he would have this kind of perfect quote. I'm like, how do you do that every single week, have just the perfect quote. What was awesome was a few weeks after I kind of got down by all this, he then shows a behind the scenes video of him saying the same quote 40 times trying to get it right. I was so happy about that quote. I'll be honest with you. I'm like, thank you for not being perfect. But here's the other thing that was hard with this guy. About 90%, I'm not going to tell you his name because of this, about 90% of his uh, stuff on Facebook was him with his shirt off out at the park playing football with the boys, chiseled, perfect frame, all the abs visible, just perfect. I'm going to go out to the beach today, and he's diving off a cliff, and there he is, shirt off, perfect. He didn't even have that like, ah, face that you're supposed to have when you jump off a cliff. He was just like peaceful, like an angel. Everything was perfect, like he just looked Perfect in every picture, and his shirt's always off. I'm like, man, I don't even take my shirt off at the pool. Nobody needs to know what's under here. (laughs) Well, here's the sad part. A couple of weeks ago, he had to resign from his ministry because of multiple accusations of inappropriate relationships with women. He made himself eye candy and then was shocked when people wanted a taste. People are looking at the outward appearance. Paul says, if you're a Christian here in verse 7, if you find yourself to be a Christian, look within yourself and ask, aren't we Christians too? Shouldn't that be what they're asking? Is the person who's ministering to me even a believer? Do they even know Jesus Christ? I had a guy between services come up to me and say that he was on a, uh, years ago at churches he was at in the past, he was on two different boards that were responsible for hiring pastors at their church. And in both cases, he doesn't remember ever asking the question if the person was saved. They just had the right credentials. And he said in both cases, at the end of it, he looks back and he's not sure that they were saved. They just looked the part. They had the right things behind their name. Never ask the question. Paul even goes a step further, though, in verse 8. By what authority do we do the things we do? He says, even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up, not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame. Paul had authority given to him by the Lord to do the work he was doing. Now, how do we know that? We have it actually written down for us in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 13, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 9, you have the, the road to Damascus. And Jesus appears to the apostle Paul and tells him, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles to preach the gospel. 
And so Paul goes to the Gentiles in Corinth and preached the gospel. He was called to it. He had the authority of God to do it. In Acts chapter 13, the Apostle Paul is in a prayer and fasting time with a group of people. And the Spirit speaks to the group. The Holy Spirit of God says, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas so that I can send them out. And so Paul begins his missionary journeys, one of which leads him to Corinth to preach the gospel. He was called. He had the authority to do these things. And then lastly... In Acts chapter 15, the Apostle Paul is in Jerusalem, and the apostles confer together, and they send him as an apostle to the Gentiles. He was called. He had the authority to do these things. He was a believer. Those should be the questions that people are asking him. But no, they're concerned about his appearance. Now, you might say to yourself, Paul hasn't even mentioned his appearance. Well, he's about to. In verse 9, he says, I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible or, or dishonorable. Let such a person consider this, that we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also in deed when present. What was their concern? His personal presence was just unimpressive. His speech was dishonorable. He just wasn't that good at it. And Paul talks about this in several different places in his letters. We saw it in 1 Corinthians as well. He's like, you're right. I cannot preach like Apollos can preach. Dude can preach. I get it. But I wonder how many men and women of God have been silenced or ignored because of the way they look or the way they speak. How many times has God been trying to speak to us, but we just didn't want to hear it because of the messenger's appearance or because they stutter and stammer a little bit? I've fallen into that trap a hundred times. Somebody walks into the room and they just, you're just like, whoa, <laughs> that guy is together. And then they start speaking and you're like, I have no clue what he is talking about but he looked good doing it. And then you have somebody else come in the room and you go, whoa, that person is a mess. And they come up to you and you just immediately assume they need something from you because you're more together than them. And then they begin to speak and the very words of God come out of their mouth. Those people become your heroes. It's always been kind of that balance for me. I am way too lazy to be the chiseled, perfect guy. So I'm just never going to get there. But I also don't want to be the guy that walks into the room and people are like, has he brushed his teeth this year? So I'm, I, I, I want to do somewhere. I don't want to be like so unimpressive. Like it's not a goal of mine, but there's just some, some limited capabilities, genetically, time, energy, money. There's just limited capabilities. But what I would really love to be is somebody that people say, I want to follow him because he's following Christ. That's who we want to be. That's who Paul was. And that's the problem that he has with this church there. They're so concerned that he doesn't look good or speak so good, right? That's their issue. This hillbilly from Jerusalem coming in here. We're the high-minded Corinthians. We have the knowledge. 
They're not even going to hear from the Apostle Paul. But he lets them know, yes, I'm a better writer than I am a speaker. But get this, my deeds match my written words. So that strong, courageous, bold guy is about to come to your town and be strong, courageous, and bold indeed towards you. It's a warning. It's a concern. Verse 12, for we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. The first time you read that sentence, we're all without understanding, right? It doesn't make a lot of sense at first, but if you break it down, what is he saying? He's saying they measure themselves by themselves. They compare themselves to themselves. Measure themselves. I'm the right height. How do I know that? Because I'm this height. What's the perfect height to be? I'm 5'9", so I'm going to say 5'9". Anybody taller than that? Grotesquely gigantor, you. <laughs> Anybody shorter than that? We represent the little people and we want to welcome you to Oz. The perfect height is whatever height I happen to be. They're measuring themselves by themselves. They're comparing themselves to themselves. And it's almost as if they've created this ranking system where they're looking at the Apostle Paul and saying, by the standards by which we rank him, he's not attractive, he's not a great speaker, he's probably not that good of apostle. They've ranked him, and they've ranked themselves higher because they're pretty. And they have pretty voices. <laughs> they've ranked themselves higher. It's like, I mean, and, and, and I hate, again, I hate admitting these things, but I do these things to myself and to others. And it kind of depends on the day, honestly. It, there are days where I'm really proud of myself. And so I start ranking the good things about myself. I must be a good pastor. I've been here for 21 years at this church. How many other pastors in Cheyenne can say that? Not many. Then there are days where I'm not too proud of myself. And I'm like, man... I wish I could have a social media status like that guy. It's just so weird where we just kind of pick these random things to compare ourselves to other people and measure ourselves against these standards that are ridiculous. They're just ridiculous. And it's not just in ministry. We all do it. Every time you walk into a room, maybe I should just put this in my terms, but... Every time I walk into my room, I ask myself, did I dress up too much? No. Or down too much, usually. Right? And I judge it based on how everybody else in the room is dressed. And when I order a meal, did, did, I, order, did I order an embarrassing amount of food here? Or the right amount of food? Or not enough? It's just so weird, this little ranking systems that we create in our brains to kind of judge ourselves, compare ourselves to everybody else. Well, listen to what Paul does instead. Verse 13, we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere, which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you. For we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, 
but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you, so as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you, not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another, but he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. For it is not, the, not he who commends himself that is approved, but he who the Lord commends. Uh, he's kind of doing two things here. First of all, he's describing how he measures himself, but he's also pointing out the absurdity of people coming to the church that he planted in Corinth, to a city, to a portion of the world who had never heard the gospel, that first heard it through the apostle Paul, coming in there and preaching like they did something. That's ridiculous, he says. I experienced this recently. I was, on, um, I was at a conference. I was asked to sit in on a Q&A panel. And generally, those things are kind of fun because anybody in the audience can ask any question. And it's this whole group of pastors, and they're asking these questions, this question after question. Each one of us are kind of taking our turns, doing our best to answer the questions. Um, but then this question comes up. Um, I'm getting ready to church, uh, plant a church. What do I need to know? Well, this is an odd question because as I look at the panel, everybody on the panel, including myself, took over the church that they were in. They didn't plant the church they're in. And so these other pastors are like giving all these answers and, then, and probably really good answers. Probably they've studied it out. I don't, I don't want to defame them. I love these guys, right? But then they get to me and they're like, Sean, what do you think I should do as a church planner? What do you think this guy should do as a church planner? And I'm like, well, don't talk to me. I've never planted a church before. And I just said, talk to this guy. And I pointed at a guy in the audience that I knew had planted churches and was training church planners. I'm like, ask him the question. I don't know any of this. The same thing's going on with the Apostle Paul here. He planted the church in Corinth. He raised these people up in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now these other super apostles, these amazingly attractive, wonderful speakers are coming in, acting like they're all that, and Paul's nothing. They're standing on his stage. They're standing on the foundation of Jesus Christ that he laid. He's like, that's ridiculous. If I'm going to boast about anything, I'm going to vote, boast about the sphere which God apportioned or measured out to me. I'm going to boast about the things that I did in obedience to Jesus Christ. I'm going to boast about what Jesus Christ did through me. That's it. That's it. He says this here, if you're going to boast about anything, boast in the Lord. Even this whole idea of commendation or approval. The one who commends himself or approves himself is not the one you want. It's the one whom the Lord commends. And that was an issue earlier in the book. They were upset because he didn't have letters of recommendation. And he says to them, you're my letter of recommendation when I go to other churches. I tell them there was no believers in Corinth and then I showed up and preached the gospel and now there's a church there. You're my letter of recommendation, the work that God did in you. He's boasting about the Lord. That's where he gets his approval from. That's where he gets his commendation from. Uh, this is the problem that we have. If, if we aim for the wrong target or if we don't know what we're aiming for, we will miss the actual target every time. These guys were aiming for the wrong target. For them, the best minister, the best pastor, the best missionary, the best apostle was the good-looking, good-speaking one. And Paul says, 
Those are actually the least important things. And you're going to miss the mark every time if you're not looking for somebody who belongs to Jesus Christ, who was called by Jesus Christ, who's been worked through by Jesus Christ. But it's the same for all of us as believers. We're trying to measure and compare ourselves to everybody else. In the world, church people, whatever it is, we're always trying to to measure and balance out and measure up and try to achieve to a certain level, thinking that somehow at the end of that, we win. But if you don't have Jesus Christ, and if you're not pleasing to Him, you lose every single time you're aiming for the wrong target. You're just aiming for the wrong target. Years ago, just for fun, I was uh, trying to illustrate the idea of sin. Uh, so that the word sin just literally means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. or That's one of the words for sin. And so we used to have our screens up on the sides there. And so right over here where the dove was, we had this giant screen. And I put this big bullseye up there with this tiny little dot in the middle. And I was going to illustrate sin by taking my Nerf gun and shooting at that and missing the obvious bullseye that was so small that nobody could hit it. And just to make it a little more exciting, I did it like this. I went, whoops, took my shot, hit the bullseye dead center, totally ruined my illustration, right? Even when I was trying to hit the mark, by missing the mark, I messed up and hit the mark. It's just crazy. But man, when I, when I measure myself by the things of Jesus Christ... As a believer, if I measure myself by obedience to Him in the sphere that He has apportioned to us, in in the things He has called us to do, that's when I hit the target. That's when I make the mark. That's when I receive the approval of the only person who matters. This is the way we should kind of get in the habit of, of answering this. When somebody says, man... You are a bad dresser. (laughs) I wasn't dressing for you. Well, you're not very attractive. I wasn't trying to attract you. (laughs) Well, you're not a very good Christian. You're not my Christ. I don't care what you think. I care what he thinks. That's counterintuitive, and that is hard. I'm not saying like this is like easy stuff, like, yeah, just from now on, don't care what anybody else thinks. But I am saying this. If you at least know who the important one is, who the real judge is, it gives you something to aim for. And it allows you to take take these thoughts captive that are thrown at you. Whether it's an advertisement that says your car is not good enough. Or it's a a person who randomly says, man, you're so dumb. Well, I wasn't trying to smart for you. (laughs) All of these things, to just take that thought captive and say, wait a second. Is this important to the one who I serve, who I love, who saved me? If it's not, I don't care about it. I exist for Jesus Christ to glorify Him. That's hard. I'm not saying it like it's easy, but I'm saying if we start to practice this, then we're going to start to hit the mark 
because we're aiming for the right target. Amen? Well, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for these people in this church that are willing to uh, hear me ramble on in a Benadryl-induced sermon. (laughs) Father, I believe sincerely that they're here because they know that the Word of God is taught here. I can't imagine anybody's here because I'm pretty. Lord, I would uh, pray for each one of us, myself included, that we would find how to boast only in you, that we would seek ways to examine ourselves in light of obedience to you. Father, if you've called us to a, a small ministry, a small circle of friends, a small life, if we're obedient in that life, Lord, remind us that you approve of us and you commend us before men. Father, if you've called us to big things, help us to be obedient to you in those big things so that we can win not the approval of the world, but the approval of our Savior, the commendation of our Savior. Father, as you entrust us with these things, you begin to entrust us with more in our obedience. We thank you for that. We thank you for trusting us. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.